Well, thanks, Andrew. Good morning. My name is, is Tim. We're so glad that you are, are here this morning. Um, especially glad to, to continue our, our series through the life of Moses. It's been a, a fascinating few weeks. I've really enjoyed digging into the story and excited to, to dig in one step further this morning. So why not, as we begin, just pray um, and, and kick us off in prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, your word says that, that those who meditate on your word day and night will be like a tree planted in deep streams of water, that in good days will yield wonderful fruit, and in hard days, difficult days, its leaf will not wither, and that all that person does, they will prosper. So God, I pray now you would help us to meditate on your word, your story, who you are, that we'd be that tree deeply planted for good days, for bad, yielding fruit, a leaf that doesn't wither, that we may prosper. God, would you come and do that now for us? For the glory of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, to help start out the mood of this morning, why don't we begin by watching this clip. How can they not know how much better we are? I don't know. Sometimes people are just impossible and they make you miserable. That is true. Like Angela in accounting. Yes, she is nuts. Ugh, no, she's wonderful at accounting, but she drives me crazy. Make the next right turn. How do they know? How does this know where to turn? That's very impressive. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything. Everything falls apart, and eventually you die, and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait! No, 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 no! It means bear right. No, up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 no! Look, it it means go up to the right, bear right over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right. Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's look, a lake right there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine. Knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's up there. Yelling. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. I remember the first time I, I saw that episode, that clip, and I thought, that would never happen in real life. Well, it does. It's happening more and more often, actually. Three years ago in Bellevue, Washington, uh, three women were driving home from a party uh, at, at night, and the, the GPS it suggested a left turn. Um, and they made the left turn, only it wasn't a road, it was a ramp. It was a boat ramp, and they drove their SUV right into a lake. Or in New York City, there was a guy driving on the Upper West Side. The GPS suggested a turn. It turned him right into a city park, and he ended up getting his car stuck on a flight of stairs. <clears throat> or my favorite, a guy was in New Jersey was, was driving at night. The, the GPS said, go straight, so he went straight right into a driveway, right into a house. Right? Now, my guess is most of you, right, we're not, we've not done that, right? We haven't had that Michael Scott level of failure. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody? anybody? All right, Bobby, it's not supposed to be anybody, but that's awesome. Um, it, it happens, right? And so before you, you judge Michael Scott or, or people who make those mistakes, that story or that feeling is, is sort of vaguely familiar, isn't it? That we've all strangely been there on a path, whether by our own choice or just because it happened 
to us or because we were just driving headfirst into disaster, we found ourselves stuck in a dead end. You and I are no strangers to dead ends, are we? Live life long enough and you'll find yourself stuck somewhere. A dead end job, dead end relationship, dead end life, just stuck. And you won't see the way out. Maybe for you, that's a reason why it's really hard to believe in God. That's a reason why a lot of people have a hard time believing in God. You look at this world, and you see many people and places that, that you think, how did they end up there? Or in your own life, talk to anyone of faith, and you wonder, how, how, did, you, how did God lead you there? How did you end up in that place? If, if there was a God, surely there wouldn't be these sorts of dead ends, these sorts of stuck places. And no wonder faith can be hard to buy into. And this is a problem, but it's actually, it's far worse than that. Because if you, if you spend any time reading the Bible or spending time talking to people of faith, you'll find it's not just that, that people tend to end up in dead ends or tend up stuck in life. It actually seems like God makes it happen. He plans out the course and leads you right into a dead end, right into disaster. If you read the Bible for any length of time, you might come to the conclusion that God looks at us, he says to all of us, what you need is a really good dead end. You need to be stuck. Let's take the Exodus story. We started with, with Moses and the, uh, in a perfect position to deliver Israel out of slavery from the Egyptians. And what happens? He, he, he murders an Egyptian man. He ends up in exile by himself, away from his family, friends, living in the desert, ruined his life. Dead end. And if that's not bad enough, you have the whole nation of Israel under uh, the, the nation of Egypt, the most powerful country in the whole world, in slavery, in oppression, injustice, stuck. As you read the Bible, there's, there's dead ends, there's wrong turns everywhere. But this morning's story, where we'll be at today, it takes the cake. It's the deadest end of them all. The most stuck that you can be. And as we press into this story, we can press into our own dead ends, our own feelings of, of being stuck in life. Of wondering why God would lead us to this place, to this moment. Why it appears that God thinks we need dead ends. So as we look at this story, Exodus 14 and 15 this morning, we'll see one, why dead ends are inevitable. Two, what they offer you. And three, how to get out. Why they're inevitable, what they offer you, and how to get out. So first, why they're inevitable. If you remember last week, Andrew told the story of the ten plagues, right? And it's this amazing story where Israel, they are, they're oppressed under the nation of, of Egypt, and God comes in in a miraculous way, delivers them out of slavery, right? The frogs, the gnats, the Nile turned to blood, the nastiness. It's an amazing story. And as I was rereading through that story into our story today, something hit me that you'd expect after all of that energy God expends to get them out of Egypt, that from this point forward it'd be smooth sailing, Right? The Egyptians are gone. God's taking care of them. It's all good. We can move on at this point. Right? We'd expect what comes next is peace and calm, hope and quiet. But that's not what happens. Instead, God leads Israel back toward the Egyptians, right into a dead end. Now look at verse 2 in, in Exodus 14. The Word of God says, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hirath, between Migdal and the sea. In front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, if you have no clue about Old Testament geography, which is probably all of us, right? 
we have no idea what exactly is happening in that verse. The, the, the translation for us would be, God is, is looking at Israel and he's saying to them, okay, what I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to turn around, I want you to find the worst possible place to camp, right up against a, a big sea, right in the desert, and wait, wait there, where you're in a perfect position to be ambushed by the Egyptians. I mean, this is the equivalent of Michael Scott's GPS saying, hey, turn right into the lake, right? Head straight for this dead end. I mean, this is too outlandish to be real, and yet, it's real. It's exactly what God has told them to do. Which raises the question, well, why would God do this? Why would God actually draw Israel right into ambush, right into a dead end? And he tells us in verses 3 and 4, which raise even, even more questions. For Pharaoh will say of the people, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now, before I unpack those two verses, there's a problem there, a problem that was present last week that Andrew alluded to, which is, what does the Bible mean when it says, when God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart? What does that mean? I was thinking about this yesterday. Think of the sun. Right, the sun in winter... I love. I want it to shine. I want it to come out because it can make a forty-degree day feel like fifty-five. Right? Maybe not for you, but I moved here from Chicago a couple of years ago, where the sun never shines, so forty feels like fifteen. Right? It's just miserable. And here, when I see forty on the forecast and sun, it's like I'm gonna go play golf. Right? Let's go outside. It's gonna be great. I want the sun to shine. And yet yesterday, right, high of ninety-nine, we wake up. Our air conditioning had broken that morning in our house. Our house I wake up. Our house is eighty-one already. And thinking, oh no, no sun. We don't want the sun to shine. And so when the rain ran in the morning before the AC guy could get there, it was just heavenly relief before the sun came out. Because in the summer, when the sun shines on me, I just get tired and angry and cranky. I want, I want cloud cover. I want rain. Right? I want cool. It all, it all depends on the context. Right? In both cases, the sun, it's doing the same thing. It's shining. It's giving off its heat. But in one context, I want more of it. I, I, want more. I, I don't want it. There's not enough. In, in another context, I want it to go away. And it's similarly to what's happening to Pharaoh here. There, there's, there's two people in this narrative, Pharaoh and Moses. One whom, whom wants God and, want, and wants more of God, can't get enough of God. Pharaoh then, who wants him to go away. Who wants nothing to do with him. And there's a saying that's been said throughout church history that the, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And it's not the sun's fault that the clay gets hardened. The sun is, it's just the sun. It's just doing what the sun does. And in this story, God, God will deal with anyone who insists on oppressing the poor, on taking human beings into slavery. God is going to deal with them. And when God shows up, those people have a, a choice in that moment to yield and want more and more of God. Or to be clay, to be angry, and to fight and to push back. It's the same God in both cases. In either, it melts your heart and you want more, or it hardens it, and you become angrier and angrier and angrier. And, and to, if, if you have a problem, I mean, if, if you read that and you think, how can God harden Pharaoh's heart? I would just ask you, what would you rather have God done? Not show up? Not be present? Just let Pharaoh do whatever he wants? Oppress the poor, brutalize innocent people? Of course not. And that's one of the difficulties of God is that we, when the poor are being oppressed or when we, we want God to move in our lives, we call for him and we're frustrated when he doesn't show up. And then when he does show up, 
It's often far more gracious, but also far more judgmental than we want. Because our hearts are far harder than we imagine. And so it's not the son's fault. It's not God's fault that the Pharaoh hates him. The Pharaoh wants nothing to do with him. And we even see Pharaoh's heart hasn't softened at all, even after the amazing story of the ten plagues. He's still clearly in Exodus 14 watching the Israelites. He has spies keeping an eye on them as they go about the land. So the moment Israel walks back into the wilderness, back in front of the sea, right into a position of ambush, Pharaoh knows right away. And he's ready to act. He's ready to move. And so that's what he does. Pharaoh says, well, look, they're they're right up against the edge of the sea. I can ambush them with no problem. Let's go. So he rounds up his arm and he goes after Israel. Which raises the question for me, how can Pharaoh be so dumb? Right, because you, you, last week you saw God do all these amazing things, these ten plagues, all of these miracles. What makes Pharaoh think now, well, now maybe God's away. Well, man, now I can get, get them back. Why? And the reason is because Pharaoh, Pharaoh thinks about God the way you and I think about God. It's different, but it's, it's the same. And in that day, people assumed the gods were, were very capricious. They were always changing their minds. Always uh, determining a difference or that God was doing something different. And so in, in this moment, Pharaoh must have thought, well, God spent so much energy expending his, his, his power to get Israel out of Egypt. Maybe he's forgotten them. Maybe he's left them. After all, what kind of God would let them wander around in the wilderness and then let them walk right into an ambush? Right? No God would do that, so God must have left them. God must have changed his mind. And the Israelites think the same thing in in verse 12. When they begin to complain to Moses, as they see the Egyptians begin to bear down on them, here's how they respond. Verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're saying, Moses, God changed his mind. We told you this would happen. And now we're out here in the wilderness with no protection, nowhere to run, nowhere to go. The Israelites assumed God had changed his mind. And let's be honest, we, we do the same thing in our lives, don't we? When things are going well, when God's at work, when God's present, we can point to his work. We say, God is awesome. I love him. His grace is sufficient for me. Jesus loves me so much. He died on the cross for me. This is, a, this is why I'm a Christian. This is awesome. And then we hit a dead end. Or we get stuck. And suddenly it's, it's God's forgotten me. Does he even care? Does he know is he going to act? Is he just going to leave me out here to die? That we look at God the same way Pharaoh and the Israelites do. We think God is capricious. We think he's always changing his mind. And if you're in a dead end in your life, whether now, whether in your past, or eventually at some point in the future, it's easy in that moment to assume God's changed his mind about you, or he's forgotten you. But that's not all that's happening in the story. Right? Because Israel's not at that dead end because of a mistake. Because they, they lost, because the GPS told them to go the wrong way. They, they're in the wrong spot because God told them to walk to the dead end. And that's why dead ends are inevitable. Because if you follow God long enough, at some point he's going to lead you into one. And at that moment, you have three choices. Three options on the table. Whether you believe in God or not. One is that there isn't a God, that you're in a dead end because that's just how life is. And there's no one who's going to come and bring you out. There's no hope or there's no reality of good news. Two, and I think a lot of Christians take this track, and I want to push back against it. Two, 
I think a lot of people say, well, God, God just allows them to happen as if they catch God by surprise, right? And all of a sudden you end up in this spot and God's like, whoa, that's really bad. That happened. Well, now I'll get you out. Right? And the reality is if, if God couldn't prevent you from getting into that mess, what makes you think he can get you out? If he couldn't see this coming, what makes you think he can see anything else that's coming? Or the op- option three, and this is, I think it's the worst and the best option at the same time. Option three is God has led you there. God's brought you to that dead end. And I don't, I don't for a moment mean that or say that flippantly. When I say that as a pastor who has a prayer list, praying for people who have stage four cancer, for marriages that look like they're going to fall apart, for people who are absolutely, who hate Jesus, want nothing to do with church, I want to long to see come faith. I don't for a second mean hey, God wants you to go into a dead end. I mean that flippantly. No, I I realize the full weight of what that means. What it means that that God looks at us and says, what you need is is a dead end. What you need is to get stuck in life. And that's the story of the Exodus. God has brought his people right into a place to get ambushed. And there's no way around that. There's no way to avoid that God has has put his people in a position for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to chase after them. And in that moment, in that dead end, there's a question, right? What next? What now? And what's beautiful about, or what could be beautiful about our dead ends is they they offer a choice to us. They're they're inevitable because at some point God's going to lead you to that space. But in your dead end, you're offered a choice. What dead ends offer you? See, Pharaoh, he sees the Israelites, they're dead in camp. They're right up against the sea, facing the sea. Behind them is desert and wilderness. And we need to understand the fear and the helplessness the Israelites would have felt in this moment. Because Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they had the most advanced army in the world at this time. And the most advanced weaponry, in in particular chariots. And chariots were a perfect military weapon for, for dry and flat desert ground. There was no hope the Israelites could outrun these chariots. The chariots were perfect for the desert. The only place chariots didn't work was ground that was, that was uneven or that was wet. And so the Israelites see these chariots bearing down on them. And they know they can't run away. They know there's no position they can run to. There's no place they can go. They are dead. At least that's what they think. And that's why the Israelites turn to Moses and say, Moses, we just would have been better as slaves in Egypt, right? Verse 12. You just should have left us there. But the Israelites, they're they're dead wrong, and they're wrong about two things. First, they're wrong that the the Egyptians actually are not coming to kill them. The Egyptians are actually coming to take them back as slaves. And I realize that's an important distinction because what's interesting about that moment is if the Israelites had known that, they would have gladly taken that deal. Right? No, seeing those chariots bear down on them, had they known, hey, we just want you as slaves, they would have said, all right, let's go back, just don't kill us. Right? We're, we were better off in Egypt than out here in the wilderness anyway. And as I reflect, as I think on that, I mean, think about how many times in your own life, when you know something's not good for you, when you know it's just going to drag you down, it's going to basically be slavish to you, that's still far easier or far better than, than your dead end. And you're willing to turn back around and go the other direction. If you're a person of faith, right, if you follow Jesus, I mean, think about the things that you, you continually fight against. You can be faithful to him, sin patterns in your life, whether it's, it's how much you drink or how much you eat or sexual sin 
Whatever those things are, in the moment when you're in the dead end, those things come calling back. A dead end offers you two choices. One is turn back. Go back to where you were, to what you had before. That, that, frankly, life, in, life as a slave is easier than life following God. Because at least there, the terms are clear. There's a dead end, but at least you agree to that dead end. A dead end with God is, is far more terrifying. You have no control. And in that moment, you'll be tempted to turn around. The Israelites are wrong about this. They think they're going to die. They actually could go back as slaves. They're wrong about that. But the more important thing they're wrong about is they're wrong about God. God doesn't have dead ends. Those, I mean, we have dead ends. God doesn't. And so when Moses responds to the Israelites, here's what he says in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you seek today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. It's an amazing two verses. And they're maybe two of the hardest verses you could apply to your own life. Because when you hit a dead end, you have two options. You can turn back or wait. You can turn back or you wait. Fear not, stand firm, be silent, wait for the salvation of the Lord. See, if you follow the God of the Bible, it's never going to be a one-way pleasure train. It's not going to be easy. God will lead you into dead ends. And there's going to be a moment at some point in your life when you're going to look around and it's going to appear like there's nothing in it for you to worship God. When actually following after the God of the Bible will mean certain suffering, certain misery, maybe even certain death. God will lead you into dead ends. And in that moment, you have two choices. You turn back or you wait. And understand, waiting in the Bible, it's not a passive activity. It's not standing and, and just being silent. It's, a, it's an angry cry, right? It's an aggressive trust. We'll see in a moment when God delivers them. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing trust you have to do in order to sit and wait for God to come and deliver you. That the choice ultimately dead ends offer you is, is you just come to the end of yourself where you don't have the capacity to, to pull yourself out. And that's why, not just, we don't just need God ends because God looks at us and says we need them. We need dead ends because most of our lives, we don't have them. I mean, let's be honest. For most of us, our fridge is full. Our kids are healthy. Life is good. We're, we're making enough money. We can get ourselves out of most dead ends with a good vacation, right? With the right, the right entertainments. In our context in our situation we don't have many dead ends because we have the power the wisdom or the money to buy ourselves out but the reality is at some point in your life you will come to an dead end you can't get out of where you don't have the wisdom the power or the money to get out and it's what 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 then is the question that's when you have to wait where you're finally forced to look in the mirror and say, I cannot do this. God, you have to be the one who saves me. Can you wait? And we all need that moment. It's the moment that dead ends offer us, that most of our days we don't have to walk into. And so dead ends are inevitable because God is going to lead you into them. They offer you a choice, though, to turn back or to wait, to see the end of yourself, 
and to hope in God, to wait for his salvation to come in. Or, and then third, third last, okay, how do we get out? In other words, how do we wait? How do we know our waiting is not in vain? That God will come. Well, one thing we have to do is we have to, we have to read the Bible. We have to know these stories. These stories have to become our stories. And so there's Israel on the edge of the sea. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. The most advanced military in the world is bearing down on them. And God says to Moses, Moses, take your staff, spread out your arms, and I'm going to split that sea in half, and Israel is going to walk through it. That's what happens in verse 21. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. It's an amazing verse. That their dead end becomes a highway. And again, understand, this isn't this is, this is still a very big act of trust, right? I mean, imagine Pharaoh's behind you coming with, with intent to harm you, and the option out is to walk through a sea with water on either side of you, which at any moment could just come back over you and drown you, right? In other words, God isn't saying, hey, I've got this. Don't worry about it. You know, don't, you don't have to trust me at all. No, you still have to trust to walk through that sea. And God, he takes this dead end. There's nowhere to go, and suddenly a sea becomes a highway for them. In order to protect them, to fight for them, to save them. And God destroys the Egyptian army in that moment. Because a God who, who can split waters is always more powerful than the best of human brilliance. Right? The most advanced military needs chariots and weapons and, and horses to go down and bear down and take the Israelites by force. God just needs some water to split in half and then cover over the Egyptians. And think of water through the life of the, Mo- the, the story of Exodus, the story of Moses. Right? We, we started with the, the command of Pharaoh to throw the Hebrew babies into the Nile River, into the water. And in the water, then Moses goes in his little ark, and he's saved from the water in the midst of the reeves by Pharaoh's daughter. And then we come to the edge of the water, which is a dead end here, which God splits in half and enables Israel to walk through to safety in his grace. And then God uses those same waters to judge the nation of Israel. That now, in this moment, it's not innocent Hebrew boys, baby boys being tossed into the river. Now it's oppressors and tyrants, those who insisted on doing injustice and violence to the poor. Now they're the ones who are judged by water. So just imagine Israel on the other side of that sea. This nation which has oppressed them, beaten them, taken their dignity from them, is gone. Never to be seen for this people again. Imagine that moment. How would you respond? Just imagine, you're, you're, hours ago you're certain you're dead, and now here you sit on the other side of a, a sea that's been split in half, and God has judged the people who have been terrorizing you for, for, for centuries. How would you respond? Moses responds in Exodus 15 with a song. And the key, there's lots of big themes in the psalm, but the the main one um, to me is is Moses sings for joy because he's going home. He's been in exile in Egypt. He's been in exile in Midian in the desert. And now he's walked through the sea and he's headed home. And so he ends 
his song in Exodus 15 with these words. It says, God, you will bring them, your people, in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which you, your hands have established. That the Lord will reign forever and ever. And Moses, he's going home. This exile, this nation of exiles finally gets to go and dwell with God on his mountain, in his place, in his abode. And with God, there are no dead ends. God is not capricious. He doesn't change his mind. And he's not changed his mind about you. And so the question for us, both individually and corporately as a church, is is can you wait? Can you wait for the salvation of the Lord, which may come far later than you would hope or anticipate? Like I said, this is something we have to live into, both corporately and individually. Listen, if if we as a church follow this God, he's going to lead us as a church into dead ends. Right, the, the biggest dead end we face right now as a church is, is building, right? It's, it's finding a good permanent space to, to lease so that I don't have to Sunday morning walk in in dread of what is, what is the thermostat read this morning, right? Is it, are we under 80? Oh, it's good. It's a good morning when we're under 80. Right, we, that's a dead end. And, and we've had buildings pop up that we thought, oh, this could work, and then it's a dead end. Right? And so we're just sitting in that dead end right now as a church. We don't know what's, what's in a store. We just know it's really hot in here right now, and this hopefully isn't God's long-term plan for us. And we keep looking, keep hoping. In Christ's community, throughout our history, we've, we've had plenty of dead ends to walk into. In fact, we, we had a dead end much like this several years ago when Christ's community met in Overland Trail Middle, middle School. Same situation, trying to get a building, trying to get land to build. And finally, uh, we had the, the, the money on hand to build, to go and, and get out of a school, get into a building. And then the week of the congregational meeting where we're going to go and announce this, we, we hear of another need of a church we were helping to plant in Romania. And they had a significant financial need, and so we had a choice. Our elder team had a choice. Do we, do we build or do we give that money away to, to Romania? Elders prayed and, and sent the money to, to Romania, which meant another congregational meeting where we'd say, you know, kind of like every time you ask me, hey, have we found anything about a building? And I'd just say, no. Another congregational meeting like that where it's, we, decide, we, we just felt this was right. We gave the money away to Romania, so we did. Can't build again. And later that week, my memory serves correct, as Tom's told this story, actually the Sunday of the congregational meeting, he gets a call unexpectedly, and someone donates, gives a half million dollars to, to our church to help us build our first building. And suddenly the congregational meeting, which was going to be the announcement of another dead end, becomes this incredible worship service of praise to God to open this door to where we both bless his church in Romania as well as now can begin to build what is our first campus down in, in Leewood. Right, and that, I know in some sense, when you're thinking about your own individual dead ends, you think, well, that sounds, that doesn't sound like a, a big deal. It is, though. When, when you are God's people and you're, you're living into dead ends, and you put yourself in a position where God has to act, and he does, it's a reminder. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to carve my way out. That's God's job. That's why we can live in, in dead ends. That's what God does for his people. And our job in that moment is to wait, to cry out, to ask, to plead, but ultimately to wait. So maybe you say again, the question I started this third point with, well, Tim, how can I wait? How can I know the waters will part from me? I see them part for other people. How do I know in my case the waters will part and I'll be able to walk through 
And I won't die here alone with God not having interrupted or not having stepped into my life, my situation. And the only answer to that, that question, there's two answers really, but one is, is think about even our entrance into, the, into Christianity, what we do to come in. Right? It's not sign a doctrinal statement. It's not memorize the book of the Bible. Right? It's not, we don't give you a theological test. The entrance right into the, the church community is baptism. Right? You go under the water and you come back out. Much like the Israelites walk through the water. The water's all around them and they get out on the other side, alive with a new home and a new future. That Paul likens baptism in this story in 1 Corinthians 10, our, our Christian baptism to the crossing of the Red Sea. Right? And what, what is baptism? Right? It's the, the, the saying, I'm dead. I'm dead in my sin. I can't get out. And so I'm going to go under the water, symbolizing my death, and I'm going to be brought back out into life. Death to life. And understand, baptism, it doesn't save us. Right? It's not you, you come out, you know, one thing, you come out another. But you, you enter into the community through that way, which is a symbol of you acknowledging you cannot get out of your dead ends. And you're not going to try because that's Christ's job to raise you to life. And that's the reason, one of the reasons why you and I can wait in our dead ends. Because, because we get that baptism. Because Jesus got a different baptism. Right? We get the story of the Exodus. Jesus gets the exact opposite story. Right? Our story is we, we're in a dead end and we can't get out. And so what happens? The water splits. We go down in death. We come back in life. And we end up on the other side with a new home and a new future. With the reality of our eternity being dwelling with God on his mountain in his place. That's our story as Christians. And Christ, he gets the exact opposite story. Right? He leaves the mountain to go through his baptism. And his baptism doesn't take him away from his enemies. It takes him towards his enemies. And instead of when we cry out for deliverance, it coming. When Jesus cried out for deliverance, Father, for just, if this be, that be your cup, let it pass from me. When he cried out for deliverance from his enemies, the chariots bore down and God did not answer. The, the seas in that moment for Christ stood still. And he went to his cross and died. The ultimate dead end, if there ever was one. And yet that dead end becomes a highway to grace for us. That cross, that moment when Jesus dies for us, where now we can know God's not capricious. He will not change his mind about you. How could he? He left his mountain, went through the baptism, died on the cross for you. What makes you, what makes you think he's going to abandon you now? He's already died for you. What else could he do? Now for me, my, my baptism, it was, it was 20 years ago. I've seen a lot of dead ends since that day. I've, I think as a pastor in some ways, I live in dead ends. The prayer list, it feels like, for me, just they get added daily. More dead ends, more things. God, we need you to work. And yet in those moments, for you and for me, in our dead ends, when we feel stuck, when we cannot get out, it's a moment for us to remember. God did split the Red Sea, and Israel got through and became a nation. God's people. You did go down in your baptism and come back to new life. And as we as Christians, that is our story. That for us, we do not have dead ends. Because with God, dead ends ultimately become highways to grace. Let's pray. God, I need that truth sunk deeper and deeper into my heart. As I pray and as I think about this world, which can just leave us stuck and unsatisfied and frustrated, 
feeling with nowhere left to turn or go. God, it's hard to believe that a few thousand years ago you split a sea and you made a promise to a people that had a Messiah named Jesus who came and, and died on a cross for us. Now as we worship, as we sing, as we take communion, would you sink that truth deeper and deeper into our hearts? That we would know you and love you more. That we would trust you more. And if we're in a dead-end situation now, God, we could know, we can wait. We can wait because Christ has gone to his cross for us. And if you turn that, that death, that brutality, that violence, if those enemies who got Jesus couldn't defeat him and he came out of the grave three years later, God, what can get us? Help us to know that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And transition now into a time of, of communion, which is another space where we remind ourselves we can wait in our dead ends. Right? Communion is a meal of waiting, waiting for the day when we'll take it with him, with Christ, in his new heavens and new earth. And let me just encourage you, we practice open communion here. If you're a Christian, you can come and receive communion, whether you're a member of Christ's community or not. We invite you to come in groups of four to six um, to take and eat at the instruction of whoever's leading you. And we have a gluten-free option on this side. Um, and we'd also say, too, if, if this is something you're not comfortable, you want to take a week off or you're not a Christian, this is a good space, too, just to, to quiet your heart. We live in such a fast-paced culture. TV's on, music's always playing. There's no silence. Let's just take this as a moment. If you believe in Christ, to pray to him. If you don't, we still, I believe with all my heart, Christ wants to reach out and does reach out to every human being. And we just, I just believe he's present here in this moment. We invite you to, to reach out to him. And so as you're ready, we, we invite you to come.